0: the
1: sunshine and darkness may imprison
0: the day for love has joined us to rest. and no one can take you away no people may say bad things about us, and neighbors may let gossip strange, but love has torn us together, and no one can take you away. We'll try in love to keep us every day and hope it will truly make us strong. We pray our love will protect us night and day and will teach us right from wrong.
1: He may swallow
0: the weather, and words may take away flesh.
1: Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series, welcome to Juneteenth weekend and Black Music Month. We just heard the legendary Clyde McFadden and Ruth Brown, rock and roll Hall of Famers, as well as Tony Award winners and Rhythm Blue Hall of Famers. I could go on; but the list goes on. I guess it is Ron did with he talks about not only their legacy. His musical influences, the music industry and things he's seen throughout the years from childhood to now. And just a fun interview about music. Ron and I are coming at you right now. I wanted to interview you and what you're doing now. You're a Howard alum. And from what I heard you you didn't want to go into the music business, so I said, Wow, that's kinda of interesting, but kinda of, <laughs> kind of kind of I, I know people just like that who don't wanna they want to get their own mark, so that thought I would, you know, explore your walk in life and what you've learned over these years, and I'm sure you've learned a lot.
2: I, I have been fortunate to just have experiences that most people would probably pay money for just because of uh the luck of the draw, as I would say, you know, who my parents were and their friends and, you know. Uh, the situations. Uh, my mom worked very hard as a single mom. Once we were growing up, to to do everything she could to give us education and and you know uh, a, a nice roof over our head and to eat every day. You know the, the same struggles everybody does. It just so happens that all of her friends happen to be people like Little Richard and the Temptations and the Four Tops and. Jackie Wilson, you know, and they were uncles to me, so I, I mm-hmm. was always around the music. But um, as a kid, you know, it didn't really impress me who they were until I got older, and then I'm, you know, I'm actually like saying, well, oh my God, that's that's you know, <laughs> Uncle Richard's like Little Richard, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other mm-hmm. people would respond more crazy like, dude, your family you know, you know, your mom was this, your mom was that, you know, and I would be like, okay, if you say so, <laughs> you know, but once I what decided people?
0: to kind yeah. of go along
2: that that path for myself, it just really was, uh, it was really a, a, an aid and, and a leg up, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't get the chance to do certain things and my mom always instilled in me and my dad always instilled that, you know. Our name or what we've been through, you know, might help you to get a leg up or or open the door. Once the door is open, you have to walk through and then you have to be able to handle what it is you're trying to achieve. So that was always my attitude, you know, so.
1: You were able to look on the backside of what people take for granted once we see um, the stars, the names, the legends. And, you know, I'm sure, and you know it was not easy, as you said, not just because your mom was a single mom, (laughs) but because she was a blues singer uh, in the dawn of what was blues and rock and roll era.
2: Right, right.
1: And, uh, you, you know, the back side of that, that many people, they just don't see that. We see the... Foundations in the Hall of Fame,s and unfortunately, that little Richard just passed. But you know, you know, going from gig to gig, getting the rejections, um, being a single mom, and or or becoming a mom in the entertainment industry at a time when it was frowned was frowned upon, really. Um, Absolutely. You know, you're seeing the backside of that now. From your earliest um, time of, of remembrance, mm-hmm. were you on the road with your your parents at all?
2: Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. But it was just like hanging out with mom. I mean, like I was a baby, baby, and um, and I remember, but don't little like hanging out with Clyde in Chicago and Arthur sock would come because my mom had a a, a show. And we were so young, we really weren't able to go to the show. They didn't want us. So he, he took us to an amusement park, you know. And I'm realizing that, you know, Arthur Prysock is Red sock And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ray Charles is there visiting. And these is just her friends. But me, it was just, Mom, I'm hungry. You know, can I have a hamburger? You know, what's for breakfast? And, and our whole family might. Cousins and stuff, we all grew the same way. And my mom never made a difference in any of it. Adults, you know, had great respect and understood who she was and what she did. And me, it was just like, can I, can I, I need a dollar, you know, to go to the store. Can I, can I have that, you know, that type of thing. So she played the dual role and Clyde played the dual role exceptionally well because it's funny. They both had the same drive, is that – and it was the thing that she used to say, if, if it's raining outside, why do you have to go and get wet if I can tell you you need an umbrella? If mm-hmm. And if you'll listen. And basically she's just saying, you know, I've been through – everything you're going to go through, I've been through. I can help you navigate it, or, you know, if you're just going to be a hardhead and not listen – then you're going to have to go out there and fall in the hole yourself or or get wet. And, you know, my mom and dad were just seriously just loving, wonderful people. People always ask me that. You know, know, there's got to be some, like, bad stories where they did. I'm like, actually, no. (laughs) You know, and I'm just, that I know is a blessing because the resume that came along with them is, like, unmistakable now. But... All I knew is, you know, as a young man, you know, you don't treat young ladies that way, son. You know, you, you have respect. You do this. You know, open the door, you know, or, you know, you, you want to ask something, you can ask me anything, but you say it respectfully. Just life lessons more than anything, and then they would go and get ready to do their show. And, you know, I remember nights coming back, and she's upset, and I I don't really know, or there was some nonsense with the promoter didn't pay or, you know, some racially uh, biased thing happened. And she always tried to keep, and Clyde always tried to keep that away from us because they would tell me stories sometimes and I would laugh like, yeah, right, that didn't happen. And she'd look at me like, no, it did. You know, like the Klan was marching and she and Jackie were... Doing a show and they started protesting outside of the theater. And the only way they mm. got them out was to put them in caskets in the back of a hearse. And they laid in there and the guy drove through and she's peeking out, you know, under on, on the thing and she can see the, the, the things on fire, the crosses on fire, the people in there, white, you know, just crazy stuff that I would never ever think about. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, you got here because of the things that your dad and I went through and we're here because of the things our parents went through. So they were really high on, you know, knowing where you came from, respecting the heritage of what got you the ability to do what you do.
1: The business side of things was not known to many artists back in and during that time I was reading a statement uh, that your father felt that the his audience left him when actually it was by industry design to do so. Um, I want to talk to you about what you knew or what you were able to see of that business side. I know you're a kid, but they did tell you some things. Oh, yeah. And you may not have picked up. All of what they were saying as a young kid, but in hindsight, you got to hear some conversations and see some things on how that went down and who paid, who paid and who didn't, because somebody out there is making some serious money off your father and mom's legacy.
2: Oh, uh, that was a sticky point with them because it just came down to uh, contractual. Knowledge. Back in those days, the black artists, a lot of their songs were uh, appropriated for white artists, like Little Richard's stuff went to Pat Boone and that type of stuff when they were there written it and got all of the credit for it. And the contracts were written in such a way that basically what the artist did was just, you know, you just go on the road, we we got you hooked up for the hotel or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there was a running bill for everything that they, they did. So when it came time to collect residuals for all of their performances and stuff, there was this huge bill. <laughs> they were in the red for stuff. Like my mom's had 25 top 10 hits and barely saw the money from that, you know, and Clyde was the same way. What I saw first, where I was old enough to really feel what was going on was the resentment they had for the situation, you know, um, the situation that they they had to go overseas a lot to to perform. It, it was like the jobs in the United States, and because of the you know the the, the uh, '60s and the, 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 all of the crazy racial things that were going, they could find better jobs and better paying jobs overseas. And people seemed to have more respect and knowledge of it. So I, I look up and we're going to Japan for, you know, three times a year and London mm-hmm. and England and that type of thing. But that's how they, you know, kept the lights on. And Clyde was, he, he was bitter, when I say bitter, just about the situation and because he was knowledgeable enough to know that he he fought for the rights, you know, to, like, Sam Cooke was one of the first that really got to own his own songs and stuff, and that's all Mm -hmm. along the same time, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, Clyde started out when he was with his own, uh, the Mount Lebanon Singers in uh, in Durham, and he came to the Dominoes, and their music became very popular, and Clyde was the lead vocalist, so what bothered him is that they would show up, and he wasn't getting the recognition because people would call him uh Billy Ward, Mr. Ward. They thought he was Billy Ward, you know, because he was the lead vocal. And that used to bother him, you know, about you're doing the work and you're not getting, your just due, and they were kind of on a salary. Billy ran everything. It's almost like I'm hiring you four guys to be the dominant. <laughs> you know, I'll get the money and I'll pay you with whatever I think is due. And that was the situation that he felt he had to step away from. And he did, and the rest is kind of history. You know, uh, Armin Erdogan was, uh, he liked the group, and he, he loved Clyde. So when he found out that he had left the group, he tracked them down, and that's how he got his first Atlantic uh, recording deal, you know. And the first thing he did was he brought in his his gospel choir, the Mount Lebanon Singers, and they recorded as the Drifters first, but um, they they were saying they sounded too much like Clyde, and that's when he went and uh, recruited Bill Pinkney, the Thrasher Brothers, Willie Furby, and that's who became the Drifters.
1: Now, you're mentioning a group of maybe several groups who had so many groups named that that it... it, (laughs) It's become pretty confusing as to who's who. And who's yeah, that. so you yeah. got the clatters, you got the drifters. I've uh, interviewed someone from the coasters, and he was an original coaster. I think he's the only one left beyond And Okay. Um, and uh, talk to us about that crossover from Billy Ward, because that was he, he. He really was able to break out there. He did have to leave, and now you've got the first. Uh, that's really of, of, of drifters.
2: Well, uh, that okay. Are,
1: uh, you know, there are no names. Uh, Bill Pinckney. Um, well, yeah.
2: Well, again, that that directly stems from the racial equality uh, that was happening at the time concerning uh, black artists and the names. So today, as an entrepreneur, you, you copyright your name. There, there's not... 15 beach boys running around or, or, or 15 no. people saying, hey, we're the Beatles or Herman's Hermits or whatever, you know. But they did that with the black groups because basically their attitude was just, if you can, if you're black and you can wear a tuxedo and do some dance steps, you can be. You're you're, you're replaceable, you know. So that's the the kind of attitude they had. And Drifters career wise when Clyde started it, um, is actually one of the most influential, you know, arguably top notch groups of all time, just based on the uh borders that they broke down. You know, from their their catalogue of hits is is just as like longer than the temptation thing. But it was always um it was a replaceable attitude, you know. There was only one Clive McFaddle, actually only one Jackie Wilson type things, you know. And the the way they were treated as members, you were looked at as, you know, not the star, but a, a package. You don't like what we're doing, next. And that's what always bothered <clears throat> my father and my mom, you know. So that's why they more so uh, lean toward the solo stuff. I mean... Clyde, till today, still owns the trademark and everything. And that's, I sing in his place now, it's Clyde McFadden's Drifters. But there was no legalized um, ownership of anything. So anybody that ever walked through or said they, you know, were near the recording studio, oh, I know the Drifters, I'm a Drifter, I used to be a Drifter, you know, 12 years old. I've had people contact us. Contact me and contact Cherie, the manager, about joining uh, Clyde McFadden's drifters. And he he got on the phone and he told her he said, "Yeah, I'm one of the original drifters, you know." And she was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> she, she said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm one." Of the, right? And she said, y- "You do know you're talking to the, we we have Clyde McFadden's son." And she, he said, the original members are all deceased, you know. And he said, oh, well, I mean, you know, if you want to go all the way back, I mean, the original, but the guy I've worked with, you know, he said he had the copyright or the name, trademark to use it as a jurisdiction. And unfortunately, artists didn't know the difference. They knew the music because it was promoted that way. And you didn't, you didn't actually see a lot of the artists – on their album covers. They made them generic because they wanted the uh white audience to accept them at the time. So, they did things that were necessary to be successful around, you know, today it's easier.
1: Well, I want you to elaborate on that. I um have heard this over and over where people say they um, are the member that I interviewed on who is? Well, yes. I was able to when he said he was the uh, in the original, I was able to go and find archive footage of Dick Clark or, you know, some some television show. And he was there, most definitely. Um, and he still gets the royalties. How do you, I, I know that you, it, it has to make you angry when, when people do that. You know, they or even if they're going to say, I was a drifter, I took someone to his place, you would definitely know who took, you know, whoever's the place, place. Were, right, Bill Pigney's place, or whoever left. Right. Um, what do you do when you have so many people who were drifters, at least a dozen or more, but they're on an album cover, or they're on a in, in a in a, a, a historical photo of of a, a caravan of stars. How do you, as um, an artist, rectify that when people are still making money off an image? Or as your father, your father is an image and a real person, and you, you can find his photos, you can find archival footage. What do you do when there's so many of them? Well Benny King was a drifter, you know. Yeah, <laughs> well,
2: so yeah. Benny people. was a. Actually, they were the okay. There's two levels. There's the drifter's. My dad and he created it all, and they were, It's amazing to me and once that, that so many people spend their life trying to take claim of something that someone else did. That that's you know like yeah, I was a drifter or I was a, you know I was a beetle or whatever, and. It's not true. It's like basically what I was taught. They, they my mom and dad, made sure that I understood the uh, contractual obligations, and, and it doesn't matter what people say. It's what the contract says. So, <clears throat> I, my mother's estate, my dad's estate, we've made very. We've, we've made great strides. I'll just leave it at that in securing, you know, where the residuals go for each record and dah, da So, you know, that's the most important thing. I, I, there's nothing I can do about people walking around claiming they're, they're someone or who they aren't. Because when my dad left, uh, to go solo and went into the army, it was Bill. Bill was still in the group. So he decided, you know, they added, another couple of guys, and they started to continue to try to perform. But it wasn't going that well. And they were basically, like I said, on a salary. So Bill uh basically went into uh George Treadwell, who was the manager at the time, and just said, look, we want a raise, and, you know, we're not going to do anything. And next thing you know, everybody was fired, which is how do you – fire people. To, in my mind, how do you fire people that have a record contract? You know, that was That's why I was getting
1: ready to ask. That's why I was getting ready to ask. There are two groups of drifters. The original drifters, and then the other drifters of the 60s. You know... Everybody really-
2: Everybody that, that claims a drifter, all they're claiming is that they replaced someone. I uh-huh. asked you, what did you record on? What song did you sing? There's only... A certain And that's why there's only uh, certain people that were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The original members. My dad is in twice. You know, Benny, uh, Benny and, and uh, Charlie Thomas. Charlie is the last.
0: What,
1: yeah, I interviewed him. I interviewed Charlie. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Charlie is the last actual recording member of the second generation. And I say second generation because what happened is they had the name and... Uh, they went in and brought in The Crowns, which was Benny King's group, and Charlie and Benny were singing, and they just turned them into the drifters. and then you have more, a lot of these 60s hits and stuff. But they're the only ones that did actual recordings. There were no more recordings after that. So, the group in London that the Treadwells claim they own, they're just guys. I mean, I've seen them, I was in London with my mom, and she Miss Trevel came by and I went to see a concert and she was basically seeing if I would be interested in performing there. And I'm just looking at a lot of guys with English accents and it was just funny to me that, you know, like an American-born group that my father started, here were four total strangers to me that were working off the name there in, in London and people were just Like, okay, you know, they're drifters, they sing under the boardwalk, they do blah, blah, blah. You know, and it it was um, Johnny Moore that I actually met. And when I walked in, he just looked at me, he said, wow, you look just like your dad. And I was just kind of, you know, thank you. And I I always, my mom just, just said, you know, you have to keep moving forward. If I spend all of my time worrying about, These other guys that were claiming stuff. Bill, like Bill came out and he had Bill Pinkney's drifters. And, right, he he had a right to do that because he was actually, he was actually a member of my father's thing. But then the people that he hired to be his drifters, those are the spinoff guys that leave after, you know, whatever time and then go say, hey, I was a drifter. No, you mm-hmm. were in Bill Pinkney's drifter. You were in Charlie Thomas's drifter. No one recorded anything. The only trademark name and residuals paid out are based on Clyde McFatter and the drifters. And the estate receives those things, and there's not a person that tells you that they are a drifter other than Charlie that actually, you know, has any. Uh, uh, A payment for being recording or or being an actual member. And that's why they limited and chose the members that would be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
1: I'm glad. Um, And and then I um, need to ask this because I've interviewed many people who were lead singers of groups. Mm -hmm. And other members of the group who carry on the name after that lead singer leaves whether it be woman or man, mm-hmm. um, pretty much try to deny the lead singer who sang the music on all the hits. <laughs> and you can't <laughs> lie, you know? You, you, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, like, that's the
2: voice. Yeah, right. How do you do that? Yeah. But,
1: how do you do that? That's like you being Clyde, Clyde McFadden. And you go out and you, since your father did, make a bigger name for yourself, right? And uh, the rest of the group denies five, ten years after that you were even a member, but You're on all the celluloid and all the tapes and all the the television shows, and, you know, (laughs) that's your voice. No, he was never a member. No, he can't use the name. How do you You, do that to somebody? How do you – you get what I'm saying? It's like your name – your your face is on the album covers. You're on Bandstand. You're on all these varieties. You can go to any, any any one of them, yet the people who are other members of the actual group will use other people. And then claim they are.
0: But you're they not. Are.
2: That's that's you're hit the you know, nail on the head. That's that's my exact point, you know. And um I I performed with Bill's group for a while when I was younger. And, you know, we did a lot of overseas and tours and, and uh boat cruises and stuff. And as the audience came in it became very obvious who I was just when we did our introductions, and they zeroed in not specifically me, but specifically the name of McFadden, Clyde, you know, and it just got to be like, are you Clyde, son? You're blah, 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 you know, and it's like, yes. I've had people walk up and say, oh, my goodness, you sang at my high school reunion in 1952, and I'm like, wow, um, and then it got to the point that I just stopped trying to say, no, no, that's my dad, you know, but I just... Okay, great. Did you have a good time? Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> then, it's, then it's over, so I just I would just roll along with it. But
1: well, good if just they can remember that and he did that. That that's a great memory to actually see the real people. And uh, you know, yeah, because you know, there are many people who did do gigs like that before they really made it big.
2: Absolutely. Well, that was the slate for the artists back in those days, but um, the. A business decision was made by Bill's organization, and I'll just keep it as professional and uh, straightforward, as that, you know, my introduction would say, this is Clyde's son and Ruth Brown, you know, and that seemed to elicit a bigger um, reaction from the audience, you know, than, than the group. It was, you know, wow. And they decided that that was too much attention, and they were going to rewrite history, and they weren't going to talk about my dad anymore or my mom in my introductions. And I said, wait, what? How are you going to rewrite? <laughs> oh, so, you know, your organization started the justice now. It went in that direction. And I said, well, thank you. But no thank you. I said, you know, I, I can't tell you how to operate your organization because it's, it's yours. You do whatever you want to do. Right. But the one thing I have control over is me. And I will never stand, I, I'm not going to stand here and listen to you uh, change history or disrespect my mother and father by just sheer absence of it. You know, the, the other guys in the group seem to be a little, you know, nobody's talking about my mom or my dad. Why is that important? And not just you, you realize the level of pettiness and things that you deal with, and then you just say, I... Now I understand, you know, not even to the degree, but what my dad was feeling back in those days, you know, someone mm-hmm. taking credit for something they didn't do, you know, like temptations went through it too. At least the groups yeah. that were out there actually sang with them, you know. There's like you know Jimmy Joe Bob's Drifters, <laughs> and, yeah, <you> know,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, Freddie Cool's guys Drifters. It, if you walked by the studio, if you ever had a Drifters record, I w- you could be a Drifter. You know, and <laughs> that always bothered me, and and it bothered my mom and dad because they said this is something they worked for, to to hone their talent. You know, um, I, I wanted to. You mentioned sport. the
1: Temptations. You mentioned the Temptations. Well, they did have. Famous lead singers, very famous lead singers. Yes. They had multiple lead singers. Yes. And any one of them, if they had lived, if Paul had lived, and, you know, Dennis was able to have his group of temptations, which makes sense that he sang on, he sang on Grammy award-winning songs. Out of you know, uh, Eddie Kendricks. I mean, he right. he he sang on. So they had multiple lead singers. Uh, Otis right. still owns the copyright. He didn't. He sang on all the hits. He was never the lead singer. Never the same.
2: Yeah.
1: But and, um and it makes sense that, you know, uh they would have it trademarked said Words Patient review because he he did sing the hit. Now David Ruffin. David Ruffin is a in a category of really of his own. Uh he he really, um you talk about uh just like your father, uh a, a distinct voice. That's yes. a seriously distinct voice, just like your dad. <laughs> oh, you can't mistake that. <laughs> every yeah. every
2: major hit outside of the second gen- generation, that um, the replacement that, that Dennis Edwards sang, was basically uh, David Ruffin and Eddie Kendrick. And, I mean, he, right. they individually were so well known as a unit. Paul and, and, and David and Eddie and yeah. Melvin. You know, you could go down the list. And when the people that replaced them, they record, I mean, even up to Glenn Leonard, you know, and these guys that came in and then they actually performed some stuff in the later things. But other people that are saying they were drifters, they were never in the group, never sang lead, never did anything. You wouldn't know them from Adam. If you ask people who are the drifters, they could tell you, they might say, oh, uh, I think Charlie Thomas, or they might, you could tell you B.B. King. But normally they always say Clyde McFarris, who started. But right people that didn't lead sing, like you say, and didn't record or anything like that, they're still out there saying, I got this great tuxedo, and, you know, I sang at a funeral with two drifters, so I'm a drifter, you know, and people buy that. Well,
1: a saving. saving grace is Paul son looks and sounds enough like him. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Williams was also a lead singer. So Paul yeah, Williams was like, oh, a I like his dad Deborah. And um uh, And that's kind of a saving grace in a way to keep his memory on you know, moving Uh
2: Paul was great to me. I loved it. You know, like it, it's growing. The stuff he led on, like when they did the, uh, what's the classic, I, you know, his voice. I want to
1: love I can't see. I love yes, that
2: one I love Paul Williams. And I'm saying each one had a different. Voice a different way. Eddie is unmistakable. You know, David. And then, then, how how are you going to go out and find, you know, Dennis Edwards? And then after Dennis Edwards, you get get Ollie Woodson. You know, I mean. No, you're
1: not going to find Ollie
2: either. Ollie was a different
1: distinct voice (laughs) altogether.
2: You know, and I had the pleasure of, of knowing them. Because, like, David and him, are very young, but they were friends of my mom and stuff was going through. And Ollie and I became personal friends here. I mean, we did a couple of tours together, you know, shows that I was on. And I would just be there like, listen to this guy. These people are just off the chain. They're just, you know, the talent spoke through. And yet each one of them had the same story of how their recording or, or group Experience wasn't what it, they wanted, you know, and it was mm-hmm. just got got to be more than they could bear, and everybody just tries to go, you know, I can do this on my own type thing, but it, but it, you it have all to have
1: started. Smart, you have to have the business smart. Yes,
2: yes, yes. The, that like so. That was my first lesson when you know, my mom wanted me to go to college and graduate and get my education first, and. If so I decided to sing, she would do whatever she could to help me, you know. But um, I, I had talents. I could sing because I got the luck of the draw. My parents both were like crazy good singers, and I didn't do anything to to get that. I just it just happened. But I I practiced in sports, and I was extremely I was good at sports. I went to Howard, played football, and all kinds of
1: things. Met some great people and stuff. And what was what was, was Howard with, University like at that time? We were there. I was there in the thousands. I was there in this millennium. So, what was Howard like when you were there? It was it was it was much smaller and didn't
2: have the financial backing that it has today. You know the the, the big stadium they have. We used to call the Dust Bowl because it was, <laughs> what? you know dirt and stuff. We're playing football and stuff like that on dirt. We just didn't have that type of thing and. The, 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 uh, conferences we played in the MEAC and everything. But as far as the people in the interaction, it was, it was amazing. One of the highlights of my life. I mean, I've met some guys that I was, became friends with, uh, Daryl Bridges and Michael Banks, who happened to be the brother of Ron Banks, who was the lead singer of the Dramatics. So even when I got to college, I was meeting people. And being influenced in the music when I was just like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do music. I want to make my mark my own. And that was just your teenage self trying to, you know, that I I was little Clyde or little Ruth. I didn't really have my then, you know. And you just kind of go, what, you know? And now today, I couldn't be prouder that I'm just the luckiest person in the world to have, you know, two world class talents like that. And I respected more more as a grown man when, as a kid, I just, it was just mom and dad and, you know, whatever, go to your room, you came in late, you're doing stupid stuff, you can't go out, you know, just everything every other kid did, except I had the, I'm watching and all of a sudden the door knocks and open the door and Jeffrey Osborne walks in or (laughs) Cuba Gooding from, you know, and all kinds of stuff, just... It it was just an amazing stuff. It was like a, a revolving door of like, Wait, who is this? This is, you know, the the top.
1: I wanted to go back to the business side. And the reason why I do that, it's interesting you're mentioning Michael Banks, Ron Banks', you know, brother. Um, my my people were also in the music business, but they were on the ownership side in Detroit. And on okay. a place a famous place called the Twenty Grand and uh you know, oh, yeah, elders, twenty grand club. You oh know, yeah. Know. And the Algiers Motel, the infamous Algiers Motel in the movie Detroit three years ago that came out. <laughs> yeah, the Algiers Motel. But, you know, it's interesting. When I watched that film, one of the reasons for an Algiers or 20 Grand or others is because uh, blacks who were traveling like your parents, uh, it was not integrated times in the early days. You had to stay at motels, hotels.
0: Or and people's
1: house. you know, your people homes? Yes. And so when I watched Detroit the movie, I don't know if you saw it. They pretty much uh, portrayed it as a CD dive. If you look at the historic district it was in, it couldn't have been any. It, it, it couldn't have been that. It couldn't have been that at all. It was a it, you know it was in an upscale neighborhood. And I wanted to go back to the whole business side, because we're mentioning all these wonderful people, but you mentioned one key person. And I'm going to throw in Mr. Dolphin uh, of uh, California, who was also a record owner before Barry Gordy. Uh, okay. you you got Sam Cooke, who was doing a lot of producing before he passed on. um yes. Before he was unfortunately taken out.
0: So but he
1: uh, had his own music. He was uh, cutting different artists like Johnny Taylor and, and, you know, the Womack Brothers and, you know, the Valentinos and all this other stuff. And you said that your mom happened to know Sam Cooke, probably because mm-hmm. he was in gospel before, so. What were your parents thinking when all that did go down? Because you yeah. had somebody who was really getting ready to be a powerhouse in the music industry, not only in terms of music ownership. Yeah. as an artist. He was, he was like a quadruple threat. He could produce mm-hmm. other people. He had the Rolling Stones actually recording, you know, the Womack music in 1964 and making right. it a hit. Right. You know, Um what did you, were you old enough to have heard what went down with that? And the the repercussions of a black man actually owning too much, maybe?
2: Well, in in other people's eyes, in the generalized population. My mom, they spoke over a long time and I remember conversations that she would be worried about Sam and she just had this, you know, he he's, uh, people are going to look at him he's he's extremely smart. He's a good businessman. He figured out what, how the business actually worked and if he couldn't do it within the system, he'd create his own, which is what a lot of artists started doing, you know, and, she was worried, and when I remember when, you know, the incident with Sam happened the hotel and all of that stuff, she, I remember her crying, and just she was just kind of like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. You know, he, up against so much, you know, you the, the, the powers that be want you in a certain framework, that's how their business model runs, and they don't want to change it for whatever. You just sing and dance, and smile, and we'll take care of the rest. Here's your little cutoff, which is nothing of what they actually deserve. Writers' royalties, publishing, you know, ownership of stuff. Sam and started to do that, you know. And My dad had his own record shop trying to do the same thing, but it's the opposition of the in power, let's say, um, that, that weren't applicable to that, you know, and she was really, really upset about it because she, she just lost a friend. You know, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. Uncle Sam, Uncle Jackie. Jackie bothered her, the way things went, you know, and, and just – but it was almost kind of expected. I, and I, You know, I, I know that sounds bad, but it it was almost like expected that something would happen to try to circumvent the fact that uh, they were smart enough to step up and, and – try to figure out a way, business-wise and legally, to own masters and do things like that, like Ray Charles did when he left Atlantic and went to RCA. You know, he owned his masters and his songs, and that wasn't things that that artists did, especially black artists, you know. Yeah, it's just, yeah,
1: yeah. It's interesting. Barry and Guillermo have had some success. But, where you see the major success of only I mean I know the masters and whatnot and, you know Prince got screwed is maybe thirty years later, but the type of music completely changed <laughs> in the yeah. images that were out there so I, I, one of my um friends in the music industry who came along in that day he was a teenager, and Sam Cooke was his idol, and he white and he was saying that. Um, it changes, though when the brothers get romantic and start getting popular, the music genre changes. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it changes, goes from romantic, good looking guys, and then you got the flower power folks going in there. Yeah. And you got the black romantic like the the stylistics of the skylights come up in there and then you've got the disco and the, the yeah. park folks come up in there.
0: Then you got yeah. baby
1: fake. And, you know, all this wonderful, you know, debarge and you know, decent feminized good looking guys though. Yeah. And they're singing romantic yeah. hits and, and after seven and all this other stuff and, and he knew that the hits. I had to go study up. I'm like, Who that after seven? Who's that so, yeah, that's his guys. brothers, Yeah, his,
2: his brother. Yeah,
1: you got, got the 90s and you've got gangster stuff and you've got images that would never fly 40, 50 years before, 30 years before, or even 20 years before. But
0: they Your own their brothers,
1: stuff. They own
2: their stuff. They were having a hard time with it even when it was happening. You know, it became. Uh, people were like, oh, there's. The, the lyrics are too explicit. We want to get rid of those. They, they hate the police. They're antisocial. Just, they find a reason to try to curtail the success.